You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day. It's time for Herd Mentality, the weekly episode where you take control of our discussion by sending in questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Buffalo Bills. And I respond to them here on the podcast, and we have a ton to get to, so let's get started. First one comes from Jason, who says, I'm not normally this guy because I hate PFF, but what were the O-line grades for the game today? They had an absolutely atrocious game. So I was very surprised when I loaded up the PFF grades and saw how they graded the Bills' offensive line because I agree that they played very poorly, but the grades were not necessarily reflective of that in the way I was expecting. And keep in mind, a 70 and above is what you're looking for. That 70 threshold for PFF is the line where they say this is a starter caliber performance 60 to 70 is a backup caliber performance, and then below 60 is that replacement level. So this is what they had for the Bills on Sunday. Deion Dawkins, 61.5. Ike Bakker, 58.1. Mitch Morse, 52.2. Cody Ford, ready for it? 68.3. <laughs> I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it either. Darrell Williams, a 66.3 at right tackle. So for as poorly as we all perceive the Bills' offensive line play to be against Jacksonville, PFF really didn't score them that badly. And uh, I'm pretty surprised by this, especially that Cody Ford grade, 68.3, the highest graded Bills offensive lineman. And I think he was the second highest graded Bills offensive player in the game. And so... uh, Make it make sense. I have I have no idea. I have no idea. The next one comes from Dynasty Bill, who says, I know I asked about David DeCastro after the Steelers loss, and you weren't keen. Think we should bring him in for a workout? Can we do that now? Same goes for Mitchell Schwartz and Russell Okung. I know they're both tackles, but it could allow us to move Darrell Williams inside. I haven't seen anything about any of those three retiring, and even a veteran presence I think could help the line even if they're not playing a whole lot. Cody Ford is bad, bad, and I'm worried about the O-line not only ruining our best chance at a Super Bowl appearance for a long time, but also making Josh regress into Sugar High Josh or Hero Ball Josh. I'd also love to hear your hopefully positive thoughts on us making a play for Odell Beckham Jr. So you mentioned three offensive linemen, three veterans, three guys that have had really good careers, but are not on teams right now in DeCastro, Mitchell Schwartz, and Russell Okung. Here's what I'll say about that. If they can help the Bills, yeah, sure, go sign them. But I do consider that the Bills aren't the only team in the NFL right now that has concerns about their offensive line. It's it's kind of a league-wide issue. And if these guys were truly able to help a team, you'd have to think that these guys would have more interest across the league, right? I mean, you don't hear about any of these guys going on workouts or visits or anything like that. And so I'm not trying to squash your idea, but I do want to have the right perspective in case there are people 
that are actually sitting around right now saying, oh my gosh, Brandon Bean could go sign these players and change the offensive line. I think if that were the case, they would be on a roster by now. And each of those players that you mentioned have notable injuries that they've been working through, and they're all older offensive linemen. And so I think there's a reason that these guys have not been contacted or given an opportunity at this year. However, look, do your due diligence, find out, talk to them, see where they're at, bring them in for a workout if you're that intrigued, and and find out, right? Like, I'm for that. I think the Bills should be trying to look in any way that they can to find some offensive line help this year. Now, I will say that the Bills' offensive line can get better this year by the return of Spencer Brown, which improves the offensive line in two spots because now you have Darrell Williams at right guard and you really only have one spot where you're super concerned and that's left guard. So I think that's probably the most realistic way that the Bills offensive line gets better this year. It's the return of Spencer Brown and how that can help the Bills in two different spots. And so I don't want to sit here and, like I said, squash your idea, but I do want to have the right perspective about it and not just assume that these guys are answers for the Bills and that Brandon Bean is failing the team by not bringing those players in. As for Odell Beckham Jr., I'll be honest, oh, I'm pretty indifferent about this. If the Bills brought him in, I would be hopeful that he could provide a spark to the offense and that he'd fit in very well and it would be a good locker room and culture for him to be a part of. If they don't, I'm not really going to have big questions about that either. You know, I think that's a situation where there's variables in play here that makes it a complicated thing to consider. And so if the Bills said, yeah, we'll let somebody else try that out, we have enough wide receiver talent, I would totally understand that perspective as well. Andy says, any specific reason as to why the Bills' offensive line has had such a hard time with stunts by the defensive line? Seems like they get beat by stunts a lot. Yeah, I think the answer to this one's pretty easy. They've had five different offensive line combinations in eight games. And we talk about offensive line and how important it is for them to function as one unit. Well, when you're never playing together with the same guys next to you, it makes it hard to communicate and play off of each other and function as one unit. And so I think the injuries up front and the inconsistency and shuffling the deck so often has really ruined the Bills offensive line's opportunity to gel and function as one unit, which I think is most exposed when defensive lines are stunting against you and it really stresses that communication and ability to play off one another. Next one comes from B Mormon 2020. He says, if we are going to praise Bean and McDermott and company for being masterminds of this roster, let's shame them when appropriate. The reserve linemen are a huge problem, and we are lucky Josh Allen didn't get injured. I don't blame him for the turnovers. He was constantly under fire. What changes do we make at this point in the season to fix this issue for when our starters are out later in the season? So I do think it's completely fair to extend some criticism to Brandon Bean for the state of the offensive line. And I talked about that a lot yesterday on the podcast and how I thought Their performance against Jacksonville was the manifestation of four massive miscalculations at guard, whether that was being honest about Cody Ford and John Feliciano and what you have in those players, and then also moving on from Wyatt Teller and Quentin Spain and seeing them be successful elsewhere. I think you have four massive miscalculations that have led to this moment, 
And like I said yesterday, one or two would be okay, but all four of those is a problem and it's a concern. And we should extend criticism and ask questions about why the Bills guard situation is what it is today. And so, like I said, we got a lot of questions this week. And so a lot of the stuff that I might not be able to get to today was really answered in yesterday's podcast or in other questions that we're going to get to today. So just keep that in mind as I navigate through these questions and the the narratives and conversation coming out of this loss to the Jaguars. So what makes this difficult for me at least to process is I don't think Brandon Bean hasn't prioritized offensive line depth. I mean, this guy has made sure that his depth has been full of experienced NFL blockers. He's done that every single year since 2018. So it goes back to the evaluation and management of the personnel. It's not because this has been a backburner thing for Brandon Bean. He signs offensive linemen like crazy. I mean, the experience that the Bills entered training camp with at offensive line was probably second to none in the NFL. So it hasn't been a lack of prioritization of offensive line depth. It has been miscalculations along the way to have the right mix of players available for the team, especially right now when the depth is really, really stressed. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. If you haven't tried a Built Bar by now, you are missing out. They say it's a protein bar, but it doesn't taste like one. You have to try one of these amazing bars to believe it. Most protein bars are chalky or waxy or just plain hard to choke down. A Built Bar is soft, covered in 100% real chocolate, and when you bite into it, you know you're eating something different. It's more of an experience, one that you'll enjoy. In fact, you'd swear you're eating a candy bar. Built Bars are low-carb, low-calorie, low-fat, low-sugar, and high in protein, so all the healthy benefits on top of just being purely delicious, and they have so many mouth-watering flavors. They have coconut and raspberry, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, cherry, so many great flavors. And in fact, this month, Built is coming out with a new limited-time flavor every three to four days. So make sure you check out their website often. You don't want to miss out. And of course, I got a deal for you. Go to Built.com and use our promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Have you ever tried to scoop that last bit of salsa out of a bowl and right at the last pivotal moment, the chip breaks, the chip disappears into the salsa, your hand plunges deeper into the bowl, and you're left with the dreaded salsa knuckles? When you're stressing about whether or not we should go for it on the fourth down, it's the last thing you need. Well, I have a solution for you. Zach's Mighty Tortilla Chips, they know that the purpose of a tortilla chip is to successfully deliver dips from the bowl to your mouth in one delicious piece. Their chips are sturdy, corny, and live to keep your knuckles clean. That's because their chips are cut and fried from real tortillas, while most chips on the shelf skip this step. On top of that, their delicious flint corn is organically grown in the Buffalo, Rochester area. So pick up a bag at your local Wegmans or Whole Foods Market and say no to weak and crappy tortilla chips forever. The next one today comes from Maxwell, who says, As I sit here thinking about the Jags-Bills game that just finished, 
I am in a state of reflection rather than being upset. I want to know why there is such a large disparity in how our offense plays in close games this year compared to the last two seasons. Josh used to be Mr. Fourth Quarter, and now I can't remember the last close game that we've won. This season, the Jags, Steelers, and Titans games, we have played awful in the fourth quarter, scoring only field goals in those games. What's the biggest difference? Is it the lack of consistency on the offensive line or something else? Defense has been largely responsible for wins, which is in contrast to last season. Maxwell, I'll be honest, I think the answer to this is the offensive line. And I've seen a lot of criticism extended towards Brian Dable, and I don't think he's not deserving of criticism. But anyone who knows anything about football understands that without consistent offensive line play, your offense doesn't really have a chance. How do you go back and be overly upset with Dable when he's not getting the blocking necessary for the offense to run? He's using extra blockers all the time in pass protection, which takes away from your eligible receivers. The Bills are using a lot of six and seven man protections this year, which means only three or four players running routes. And I think that these issues manifest the most in the critical moments of the game, the fourth quarter, where I could go to the Steelers, Titans, and Jaguars game to the fourth quarter and specifically highlight how the offensive line failed the football team. And so that just makes everything hard. It makes everything hard. Makes it harder for Josh Allen. Makes it harder for Brian Dable to call plays. So I think it's really important that we start that conversation with the offensive line and then appropriately assess and critique Brian Dable, Josh Allen, and everything else about this offense because at the end of the day, football is still about blocking and tackling. And when you don't do those things well, it's tough. And right now the Bills' offensive line is not performing well enough, and we've seen that really accentuated in those fourth quarters, in those close games, which has really limited what Brian Dable and Josh Allen can get done. The next one comes from Joseph who says, I'm reaching out after this downright embarrassing loss to the Jags on Sunday for a herd mentality question slash concern. Quite frankly, I'm worried the ineptitude of the O-line, the uninspired run game, and the atrocious play calling of late by Dable is pushing us out of any meaningful progression towards a deep playoff run, let alone getting to the big game. Really what I'm looking for is for you to talk me off of this ledge that I'm on after this disappointing defeat. Are the Bills still a competitor for the championship or should we be looking forward to 2022? Thanks from a fellow Joe. So this is a good question, and I think this is a position that a lot of people are in, and I got a lot of questions just like this. I'll be honest with you. I am more comfortable with the concerns that the team has this year at this point in the season than last year. I keep going back to last year because – I think we're all hoping that the Bills build off of what we saw last year when they went 13-3. and But coming out of the first four, five, six, seven games of the season last year, I thought the only thing the Bills team did well was pass the football. Defensively, they struggled in every facet, and they couldn't run the football. And so now the defense is exceptional, and the offense is letting the team down. So there's a big part of me that takes a lot of comfort in knowing that 
what we need to be better is the offense and what it showed last year gives us a lot of hope for what it can be. And you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley. And you have reason to believe that it's going to get better once Dawson Knox is back in the lineup. And once Spencer Brown is back in the lineup and how that improves the offensive line in two spots. To me, I'm a lot more comfortable about where this team is this year compared to last year when I take a, a overall look at what the strengths and weaknesses of the football team are. On top of that, it's a more battle-tested football team this year at this point in the season than it was last year. And so if you're looking for confidence, if you're looking for reasons to buy in, I think that's what you cling to. Now, I'm not sitting here promising you that everything improves and that what I just said makes this team the Super Bowl favorites or anything like that. But that's the overall perspective that I have about the state of this team. And I think that we feel some type of way right now. I mean, we watched the Bills last year play 19 football games. And they won 15 of them. They lost four. Four losses in 19 football games last year. They've played eight so far this year and lost three. I mean, we have consumed as many losses in eight weeks this year as we did in 18 weeks last year, right? They didn't get that fourth loss until the 19th game they played. And so what's different this year is that the weaknesses of the team are resulting in losses, whereas the Bills were able to kind of get by last year despite their issues. So that's just the perspective I have when you consider the Bills and where they're at and what they're capable of this year. And one other thing that I'll say here is something that I've said a million times on this podcast. Being the darling of the NFL in week nine doesn't matter. Being the best football team in the NFL right now doesn't matter. The Super Bowl champion this year, like in most years, is going to be the team that plays their best football at the right time and, of course, stays healthy. I mean, that's what this is going to come down to. So stay in it, and then you've got to go on a run. You've got to find that switch and flip it on, stack wins, and play your best football when it matters the most. And so that's not me trying to minimize the situation that the team is in. That's just being honest about what matters in the NFL. And so, yeah, the Bills need to find that switch, turn it on, play their best football. It needs to start happening. But everything they want to achieve is still right there. But they got to turn on the switch. They got to start playing their best football real soon here. Next one today comes from Holinka, who says, How about a breakdown slash explanation on 10 personnel, 12 personnel, 21 personnel, etc.? This feels like relatively new jargon to me. All right, so uh, for anyone who is not familiar with what 10, 12, 21 personnel, what those numbers mean, it is simply this. The first digit is the amount of running backs on the field, and the second number is the amount of tight ends on the field. So 10 personnel, one back, zero tight ends. 12 personnel, one pack, two tight ends. 21 personnel, two backs, one tight end. 11 personnel, one back, one tight end. And so however many running backs and tight ends are on the field is how you come up with the personnel grouping and what it's called. The next one comes from David, who says, Longtime listener to both Draft Dudes and Locked On Bills, 
and I have a question that applies to both for herd mentality. My question is, during the Bean McDermott draft era, which draft selections were you most fired up for at the time of the selection, meaning what players did you absolutely love to see the Bills take exactly where they did when they did? We'd love to hear one for each day one, day two, and day three of the draft if you have time. Once again, thank you for doing what you do and go Bills. Thank you, David, for your support and listening to both of my podcasts. Um, As for my favorite day one, day two, and day three pick that the Bills made and, you know, at the time how fired up I was, I would say that my favorite day one pick was Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, I had this guy as a top three player on my board. I just loved the potential. You know, I thought he was an alien and a guy that has so much unteachable stuff that once he found his stride, he was going to be a very dynamic playmaker. And uh, the Bills had a big need at linebacker. I really bought into the importance of the linebacker position for Sean McDermott's defense. And to get Tremaine Edmonds really had me fired up. Uh, On day two, as I went back and looked at the Bills' day two draft selections, there wasn't a whole lot that really had me fired up. There were a lot of perfectly reasonable fine picks, but nothing that made me just really excited. The one that I will say did is Spencer Brown. And anyone who's ever listened to me talk about football knows that I love physical traits. And Spencer Brown is a rare dude. And in terms of size and athleticism, like the combination of all of your physical gifts, meaning your measurements and your athletic ability, Spencer Brown's the best athlete on the team. I mean, he's one of the best athletes in the NFL. Certainly one of the best athletes in terms of offensive linemen. And so I love that type of swing in the third round. And then on day three, I loved the pick of Taron Johnson. I loved watching him at Weber State. Saw him at the Senior Bowl. Fell in love with the player. And I thought that he was going to be an answer for the Bills in the slot for a long time. And that wound up being the case. And so as I look back and think about the way I felt about Bills picks, those were the ones that had me most fired up. Hey, Bills fans, this is Joe Marino with an incredible app everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside. My listeners are making up to $0.25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now and use promo code TOUCHDOWN and get a bonus $0.25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to $0.50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Just download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN to get up to $0.50 cents per gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back and there's no catch. The cash back gets added right to your account and you can cash out at any time to your bank account, PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. The next one today comes from Roger who says, Could you please share your thoughts on Josh Allen design runs and the risk for injury? I understand that Josh is the Bills' number one running threat, and I love his aggressive style, but after watching him almost get injured taking a hit on an unnecessary two-point conversion in the win against the Dolphins when the victory was sealed, I'm beginning to think that the coaching staff may want to start limiting his exposure to unnecessary hits, knowing it's just not in his nature to slide or protect himself. He's simply too valuable as a passer. This is especially poignant 
after seeing Jameis Winston and Derrick Henry suffer season-ending injuries? Why tempt fate and the Bills' season with unnecessary hits on our franchise quarterback? McDermott may have to protect Josh from himself. All right, so this is a question I feel like I get every year, and so let's address it. It is a myth that quarterbacks get hurt on designed runs. It is a complete myth. Sports Information Solutions, they did a study on quarterback injuries from 2017 through 2019, and they determined what type of plays quarterbacks get injured on. And by far, the number one way that a quarterback gets injured is on a knockdown. When they throw a pass and they get knocked down, quarterbacks get injured once in every 57.1 plays. It's a 1.8% injury rate. Number two is sacks, where there was one injury every 75.1 plays for an injury rate of 1.3%. Scrambles, one injury every 106.7 plays, which is 0.9% in terms of injury rate, and designed runs once in every 174.2 plays, which is a 0.6% injury rate. Quarterbacks get hurt three times as often getting knocked down in the pocket than they do on a designed run. And the reason for this is because on a designed run, you know that you're going to get tackled. You know that you're going to get hit. You can protect yourself. When you're getting knocked down in the pocket, you're in a vulnerable position. You just threw a football and now you're taking a hit. Can't really prepare yourself for that hit. And so the data is very, very clear that quarterbacks get hurt when they're hit in the pocket. Now this creates a whole nother slew of questions because right now the Bills pass protections not very good. And so that's leading to more hits on Josh Allen in the way that quarterbacks get injured. But the scrambles and design runs, I get a whole lot less concerned because the data tells me to be a whole lot less concerned. The next one comes from Skip. Skip says, are there any running backs picked after Devin Singletary and Zach Moss that are outperforming them? It's a good question. For Zach Moss, honestly, no. There's not a single running back that was picked after Zach Moss that is doing anything in the NFL. For Devin Singletary, yes, there's four. Damian Harris, Alexander Madison, Tony Pollard, and Miles Gaskin. I'd love to have Madison or Pollard instead of Singletary. So, yeah, there's definitely some uh, some guys that are outperforming him, but none for Moss. The next one comes from Justin, who says, Horrible performance by our offense. The O-line was horrible, and the wide receivers made some uncharacteristic drops, along with not getting much separation from the corners. The one bright spot is our defense, which has been phenomenal for the most part this year, so I'm not panicking yet as our offense should improve. Seeing how the Jags use the same strategy as the Finns in committing to a cover two shell defense to frustrate Allen, how do we counter that? The Chiefs don't seem to have any answers for the same problem. So yeah, this is a good point here. The Bills are seeing a lot of two high safeties, and I think you're seeing a lot of cover two man, where it's a two high safety shell man coverage underneath, and I think that's a really good way to play the Bills. Now, the way that you make teams pay for playing two high safeties is being able to run the football. When they give you two high safeties, that means they're not plus one in the box, and you have good numbers to run the football. And so you have to make teams pay by running the football 
and getting them out of that so that your spacing improves trying to throw the football. Well, neither the Bills or Chiefs can run the football very well. And so teams don't have to get out of their too high shell. They can stop the run with a regular box count. And so that's the root of the problem. It's hard to find space to throw the football in the secondary when they have seven or eight guys on every snap clogging up your throwing windows. And so the answer here is that the Bills have to be able to run the football when they give you a cover two look, when they give you that too high safety look. It's that simple. And it's kind of embarrassing that the Bills can't do it when you're getting the exact looks that you want. Bad offensive line play, bad running backs. Next one comes from Alex. Alex says, I see Bills fans on social media arguing amongst themselves, trying to figure out why the offense was so bad on Sunday. I see people blaming Dable, Allen, the running backs, and so on. I don't know if I'm being overly simplistic, but isn't it painfully obvious that the offensive line alone is to blame? It reminded me of the elite 2020 Chiefs offense getting shut down in the Super Bowl. Mahomes and Andy Reid didn't forget how to score touchdowns. They just couldn't overcome awful offensive line play. I think the same thing just happened with the Bills. Can you think of any way an offense can move the ball with an offensive line playing as bad as ours did against the Jaguars? It's a good question, and and I I wanted to finish on this one for a reason because I think this really kind of ties together so much of what we've talked about. First of all, you got to be able to run the ball. When you get two high safeties, we just talked about it, you have to be able to run the football. You should be able to. It's a favorable box count. Number two is six and seven man protections. You have to trust that if your quarterback has enough time that eventually somebody will get open despite not having as many eligible receivers and routes. You have to go to checkdowns. And Josh Allen did that. The running backs caught nine passes against Jacksonville. He did that. He checked down the football. And then you need quarterback runs. You need to be able to further improve your box count by running the football with your quarterback instead of just using him to hand off the ball. Those are the four things that I can think of that the Bills can do with the offensive line as it is struggling to still move the football and score points. Got to be able to run it. You got to be able to utilize six and seven man protections and still find space in the secondary. Got to get to your checkdowns. It would be nice to have some yards after catch ability, right? Talked about this a lot too. The Bills don't have those yak guys, right? Guys that can create space for themselves, create offense for themselves by making people miss and you know getting up the field. They just don't have those types of weapons. And then quarterback runs. But yeah, it's going to be really tough for Brian Dable. It's going to be really tough for Josh Allen if this offensive line doesn't start coming together. And hopefully that's as simple as Spencer Brown being back, Darrell Williams back to guard, and uh, you get better in two spots. But I don't know. We'll see. Like I said yesterday, the Bills are in a rut. We got to see how they get out of it. Let's hope it's a turning point in the season. Let's hope it's the wake-up call. But I think you can kind of combine my thoughts from today with yesterday and really get a clear picture of where this team is, at least in my mind, and what needs to happen moving forward. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today. I had so many great emails and and, uh, Twitter DMs to get to this week, and 
Like I said, I have a very tight schedule this week with me traveling on Wednesday and being gone for most of the week in Miami. And so my apologies if I couldn't get to your question today or if you haven't heard back from me. I'm just on a really condensed schedule this week, and I hope that you'll extend me some grace as I work through my travels this week. But uh, tomorrow, it will be our comprehensive primer on the New York Jets. I'm really interested in breaking that football team down. It's our first conversation this year about the Jets. And so you have that coming your way tomorrow, the crossover preview on Thursday. Our typical Friday routine is coming your way, and then we'll see on Saturday, like I said yesterday, my schedule this week is really, really tight, and uh, I don't want to make any promises on a Saturday podcast if I can't deliver, but I will do the best I can to make it possible if it can happen. So make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and I do look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.